Hello everyone, this is Lee the Appraiser with another episode of Amazing Appraising here in our brand new gallery, APR 57. How is everyone doing today? I hope they're doing well. So today is another brand new episode, virtually live, coming to you from our brand new gallery. And today we're going to be talking about a number of different things in the collectible market. Uh, watches continue, better watches continue to be going sky high. Um, we have what now is called, it is crazy, but uh, Rolex really hasn't delivered any watches to their store still. They are having massive, perhaps several year waiting lists to acquire these watches. And they just instituted a policy, we heard, from their ADs, they're called their authorized dealers, in which they want to verify that you have the watches that you have purchased from them over the last couple of years to get on their in-demand waiting list to buy the watches at retail prices, which is pretty crazy to think that you have to wait and try to get a product at retail price and maybe have to wait several years to do so. And you can't just come off the street and do it. You have to be a qualified retail customer, meaning they are asking the customers when they come into their stores to, um, if they had bought any watches from them over the last several years, to uh, make an appointment to bring those watches back in the store to make sure they haven't resold them for profits. And then if they still are able to bring them in and verify they're still owners of those watches, then they will grant them the privilege, the permission, the ability to be able to be placed on a mailing list to, waste five, to wait five years to be able to purchase another Rolex watch at retail price. Um, it's crazy, but in the meantime, it is just increasing the demand for these watches as they're limiting the buyers that are able to purchase them. So, of course, a dealer can't purchase them, and even a, we'll say, astute collector that has been looking to resell the watches, we get watches, uh, we buy them from the general public, from dealers, from stores, everywhere. So, um, if the store is going out of business, then we're in good shape because they're not restrictive to buy um, additional watches from Rolex down the road as they're going out of business. But um, assuming they're going to stay in business, they don't want to lose their account, and they are going to be very careful with what they do, so they will be reluctant to either sell them to us directly, although we have some that still do on a very, we'll say, QT basis. Um, and we will uh, use them still as sources. We get some in from Europe on occasion. We have people that do this professionally that supply us with a lot of brands um, and a lot of Rolex watches here. Um, in fact, here, why don't you take a, I don't know if you want, you take a close-up here. These are some of the, uh, can you get a close-up maybe of that or somehow of, uh, we're, you know, we simultaneously uh, film our radio show, and you can watch it via YouTube. We're just showing some of the very beautiful Rolex watches that we just got in. This is a rose gold uh, 41 uh, millimeter day-date present. There's a white gold, um, it's actually a platinum. There's a platinum uh, Daytona Sky Blue, uh, Yacht Master with the white gold bezel, the new model uh, Submariner, 
on and on a vintage, beautiful a vintage sub from about 1970, 65, um, et cetera, et cetera. This is what they call the Steve McQueen Explorer. This is an early uh, GMT in solid gold. Um, this is the Tudor GMT. This is a transitional Rolex Submariner. So we specialize in these watches. If you have any of these watches, any vintage Rolex or Patek Philippe or any other better brand that you are looking to sell or appraise or consider selling, but you want to know the value, please contact us. We are probably the best buyers in the world of these things. We have a brand new gallery on 57th Street. We will spare no expense to buy a nice vintage watch that we'd like, as long as the price is fair. Um, in many cases, we pay full retail and sometimes above retail to buy the watches. So um, if you had bought these even years ago, they would be worth a very large profit to you. So we would love you to show us the watches and we will be happy to evaluate them. We give certified insurance appraisals, we give cash offers, and you would probably end up getting considerably more than you had hoped for on these beautiful antique watches. Um, okay, we are going to take a short break and we will be right back with another message from our sponsor. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000. Or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. This is Lee the Appraiser back uh, for another segment of Amazing Appraising. Um, we were talking about uh, supply and demand on watches. Well, it's actually on anything as far as uh, what makes things valuable, collectible, is the supply and demand. So let's just go over briefly again with the watches, all right? So um, we're actually, uh, we came, uh, somebody came to us to publish a book on collectibles, all right? And um, about appraising and evaluations. So um, that is one of my, uh, you know, probably unique skills that I have on appraising pretty much anything, all right? So, um, when you talk about products in general to appraise them, you of course want to look at way the scarcity, the rarity, the condition, all these things factor into um, the demand of the item. So supply and demand are the two most intricate uh, characteristics which make something valuable. You know, you have, you have water, uh, you know, if there's a huge demand for water, but in most countries, especially in the United States, it's free tap water. 
So you can't really charge for tap water because it's available everywhere uh, free of charge, basically. However, um, you have what's called you know, mineral water, which they get from certain mountains and in certain states uh, where it's cleaner and fresher and has uh, none of the um, chlorine and things of that sort that are uh, bad for you, mineral water is in more demand. But again, it's not terrible demand, but it's demand where they can charge, you know, uh, anywhere in the vent, they can charge $3 a bottle. Uh, on the street, they might be able to charge a dollar a bottle. Um, so there's very minimal cost in that, but that's supply and demand. So if they were to sell mineral water for five cents a bottle, there would be huge, huge demand, and uh, they would probably sell out in a second. So there's a balance between what people are willing to pay and what the uh, manufacturer, distributor, or seller is willing to sell it for. And typically the difference there is their small profit or large profit, depending what the item may be. All right? So... Um, when you have watches, if somebody was left with watches or left with an estate and they wanted to get an idea of the value, obviously they can immediately just bring it to somebody like myself and I'm happy to appraise it for them. We have over 30,000 watches in our vast collection. We've been buying and appraising watches for close to 40 years. So we have um, the general expertise to do it and the knowledge. So the first thing you want to look for is what we would call a better brand. Okay, the brands, think of everything like a brand of a watch is going to be similar to a painting where the artist is going to be in demand. Okay, you, want, you don't want a painting that's uh, painted by somebody that has no track record. Ideally, you would want one that has a well-known artist. So if you have a painting that's by a Rembrandt or a Picasso or an Erte or a Da Vinci or in a modern artist maybe like an Andy Warhol or a Jean-Michel Basquiat, these are painters that their work uh, has been uh, accredited by uh, collectors all over the world. They're in huge demand. So demand is really the key factor. The same with a watch. You want a watch where it is a brand typically that people want and collect. So Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron Constantine, uh, Cartier, um, Breguet, Universal Genève, these are all brands that have a huge and strong demand and the demand comes from them making better watches and being collectible uh, for many, many years. So uh, some of these watch companies have started manufacturing watches as far back as, I think Vacheron goes back to 1740 was their first watch. In fact, we uh, last week uh, concluded the purchase of a very, very rare Vacheron Constantine. Um, I will show it actually on one of our other videos. I, it's, it's in our safe somewhere. But it is a, rec, uh, um, a square watch. We call it square with a cor rounded corner. So we're going to call it like a cushion shape. It was made, I think, in 1910. It was a, Vacheron recently, a couple of years ago, came out with this model called the Historique by Vacheron Constantine. Uh, it was made sort of what they call a semi-driver's watch. The crown is on the top right corner at uh, where 1 o'clock would be. It says 12, but it would actually be at 1 on a normal watch. So it has this cushion shape. So we actually bought the first watch that was ever made of this design. 
um, I think it was made actually, I see it here, in 1921. Here, it honors the design feature that dial positioned at a 45 degree angle to make it easier for drivers to bring up to to read behind the wheel. So we we were offered and acquired one of the I think there were only maybe 10 made in the world of the very first original watches which I did everything I could to buy it and we were successful we finally did buy it and um, we'll be featuring that on one of our shows and YouTube videos. By the way, again, just a reminder, go to our YouTube videos, Amazing Appraisingly, The Appraiser. Uh, you will see this episode. You will see the watches we're talking about typically live in person there on the show. Um, so please go there to check out our other social media channels. We're on Spotify, everything like that. Instagram, uh, APR57NYC, uh, Amazing Appraising. You'll find us everywhere. So, um, you know, we're going to take another short break and we will be right back. Do you have a car that you may want to sell for the highest immediate cash price with the absolute best and most convenient service available? APR 57 is New York City's leading buyer of all collectibles of art, jewelry, watches, antiques, as well as used or vintage cars. If you have any used or pre-owned cars that you want to sell immediately for the highest cash prices and be treated like the valued client you are, call or text us at 212-246-2000. Be sure to bring your vehicle to our new 4,000 square foot gallery on the corner of Broadway and 57th Street for our final inspection and a very high cash offer and payment. So call or text us today at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000. Remember, APR 57 is the go-to place for getting the highest cash price for your valuables such as rare watches, diamonds, gold jewelry, gold and silver coins, sterling flatware, Tiffany items, stamp collections, sports cards, memorabilia, fine art, Judaica, as well as used cars in any condition. So drive in or stop by West 57th and Broadway to get the highest and fairest cash offer on the spot. Free snacks and drinks while you wait. And this is Lee the Appraiser back with another segment of Amazing Appraising. I think we left off where we were talking about um, the better brands that are in big demand. So we were comparing the, uh, the watches to artists, to paintings by famous artists. So you want a brand that's collectible. That's what you want. So everything that is or made, collected, whatever it is, there's two, I consider it to be two categories, okay? If somebody shows us a painting or a nice piece of antique furniture, all right, um, the piece of furniture has a practical purpose. The painting has a practical purpose. So people are gonna, if they like that painting, they might buy it to put it in their living room or dining room, etc. okay? They like that piece of furniture, that desk, that table, those chairs. They might put it in their house to use, and they like to have it there as a decoration. So in my opinion, the first category is what we call decorative, meaning it has a use that people can use it for or display it, or it has a function, all right? And typically, there's a very clear limit by what somebody is going to pay just for that function. So I'm going to give you an example. If it's a desk or a table or a chair, and, and even if it's old and very well made and nice, it's typically very rare that they're going to spend more than a couple thousand dollars for that piece of furniture. Okay, maybe if they went to the department store, Macy's, they bought a dining room set, maybe they'll spend 10 grand, 20 grand. But no one's going to spend $200,000 for a dining room set and chairs just to use, 
Okay. Whereas if they're buying a beautiful piece of French furniture that's several hundred years old, several hundred years old, made by a very well-known carpenter, maybe it was American folk art or it was made by, you know, French style Louis XIV by a very well-known carpenter or maybe by even a brand, Cartier or Tiffany. That could be worth hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, because you are paying in addition to the beauty and the, manu- the, the usage, the, what I call decorative value and usage value, you're paying a huge premium because of the collectible value. So that's the first thing, when you see something that may have value, for you to understand, again, it takes a lot of years of experience. We're one of the only companies, and I'm one of the only people that actually buy and appraise anything of value. Most people will specifically, most appraisers, most dealers, even if they deal in art, they won't deal in all art, they'll deal in specific art. They might deal only in modern or contemporary art. And if they deal in modern art, they might only deal with five or 10 artists. We have expanded our horizons and buy and appraise virtually anything of value, anything. So my ability is to look at an item and discover or discern quickly if it has collector value, if it has, um, or just, you know, what we're going to say usage or decorative value. That's the term I uh, use and I tell my staff to use the same thing. If somebody comes to our gallery and it's a painting that's we can't, um, attributed to a famous artist, it's just very nicely done, that painting is going to have decorative value. And typically there's a strong limit on what those paintings are going to bring. Okay, rarely is somebody going to pay over five or $10,000 for a painting that just looks nice. Okay, now if you have a painting that is a very old painting from the 1700s and it's beautifully well done, it's conceivable it could still bring twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. But that's going to be like the max, 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 and it's going to have to still have another cachet to it. Maybe it's after a certain artist. Maybe it's his style. Maybe it's a Van Gogh or Da Vinci style. So what you want, just like you want a painting that was done by a world-class master and artist, a Da Vinci, a Van Gogh, a Rembrandt, the same thing with the watches. You want watches, typically the first thing in demand is you want something, a brand that is in demand. So as I, I think I mentioned all the brands, I will do it again if I didn't, Rolex, uh, Patek Philippe, Vacheron Constantine, uh, Universal Genève, Omega, Cartier, um, Breitling, Breguet, these are all the top of the line watches which of course are all or most of those brands are very collectible or parts of the watch, uh, you know many of the watches are highly collectible. And then after that um, you have more moderate brands that are also collectible. Now, to that extent, you'll have your Movados, your um, Tiffany's. Uh, well, actually, some Tiffany's are very expensive. Um, off the top of my head, let's see, what do we have here? There's a, whatever, a whole bunch of other brands. And then it goes down to uh, Seiko's and Timex, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Seiko's actually are getting a big resurgence. They have made what they call this Grand Seiko that is becoming very, very popular. So the first thing you want to know is the brand. And that is going to be with everything. So with a, a watch, it's obviously the manufacturer. With an artist, it's obviously the painting. Um, so typically with anything other 
than a watch, it is going to be the manufacturer of the item. So if somebody had left you an estate, a, a parent or something like that, the past, God forbid, or a relative, and your job is to evaluate the estate, of course, you can call somebody like us in there, which we do all the time, and appraise and buy everything, but you may want for your own knowledge and edification, understand that um, what I'm looking for when I do the appraisal is if it's a sculpture, if it's a painting, is to figure out who did it, okay? Just like the watch, when I look at the brand to confirm it's a Rolex or a Cartier or a Patek Philippe, if it's a painting, a lithograph, a print, a sculpture, you want it to be done by an artist who is well-known, who has demand, to separate the regular items, that means the standard decorative pieces, if you have a sculpture that um, is done, you know, if it's just a regular sculpture, it's going to be a nice decorative piece that's maybe worth a couple hundred dollars, maybe maximum a thousand or two. But then again, if you have a sculpture that is made, we just did, you know, by a very famous artist. We, for example, just appraised, we um, this is a couple days ago, a very beautiful bronze sculpture by Lynn Chadwick, who was one of the most uh, famous and desirable modern contemporary sculptures. She was out of England, London. And um, our job in this case was to authenticate it, evaluate it, and sell it for the party that left it to us. Um, after very, very careful examination, we noticed some inconsistencies in the sculpture where we didn't feel comfortable handling it as of yet to, um, to verify that it, in fact, was done by Lynn Chadwick. There were a couple issues about it. The, we could not find this was a series of 10, which means that even though uh, she made similar ones, this exact one we couldn't find any reference to anywhere in any of the books or on any of the online catalogs, and it wasn't clear as to exactly where the party who got it from, uh, the pedigree where they purchased it from. So we're still working on that, but as of yet, it hasn't been authenticated. But again, if that is a sculpture that is just a beautiful handmade sculpture, that sculpture would have sold for maybe 1000 to $2,000. Now, if it can be verified as an original in Chadwick, that's a, a sculpture that we could sell for between you know, fifty to a hundred thousand um, dollars. All right, we're going to take another short break, and we're going to be right back after this message. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigitte, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even 
and broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. This is Lead the Appraiser Back for another segment of Amazing Appraising. We are talking about appraisals for dummies, how-to the average person figure out what their items are worth. So we talked about watches, we just talked a little about artwork. We gave a general consensus on how to do this in many different cases. Um, so you want to basically look at uh, and separate the general decorative items to things that could be very valuable. All right. Um, so I would say, again, you're looking at your household goods. You don't have much knowledge about, you know, I, I, you know, common sense goes such a long way in doing this. I mean, I've actually am able to appraise things without seeing them. We've done this um, through just years of experience. I ask the right questions, and if I can get the right answers, um, I can appraise these items just by talking to the party that has them. We've done that on numerous occasions. Of course, photographs help a lot, but typically, um, you know, if an artist makes something, and uh, again, we're talking about a painting, a drawing, a lithograph, a sculpture, typically they will sign it. Their signature imprint will be there on the piece. And what is the reason for that? Does anyone know? Okay, well, the answer is because they will sign it because, well, I'll ask you a better question. Why wouldn't they sign it? What are the reasons that would stop them or, you know, they would decide not to sign it? The answer is that for whatever reason, they weren't proud of the piece. So typically when artists draw sketches, that means they're just drawing sketches for themselves, maybe with the thought process of eventually making a uh, elaborate oil painting based on the subject matter or topic, they will make a sketch. And sometimes they will make 50 sketches and they won't sign them. And the answer is because they're not really their finished work. It is a thought of them. They might not eventually make the painting. So it's more of a draft, a sketch. So why would they sign it? A, the main reason is it's not there, it's not finalized, it's not a finished product, and they are not necessarily happy with it. It's not a finished product. So, you know, somebody who's writing a poem, if they're thinking about writing a poem, they're not going to sign it because they don't want to be, really, the answer, they don't want to be associated with it. It's not, you know, if you came to them and you pulled that poem or drawing or sketch out of the garbage, and they say, here, this is, look, this is your work. It's not that good. It's not that finished. It's not that refined. The artist will say, yeah, that's right. Why did you go in my garbage? Don't even associate that with me. I didn't finish it. So I don't even want to be known for that. So that's why they didn't sign it. They don't want to have or leave any proof that they did a half, <laughs> a half job and not finished it. Got that? Okay, so that is typically why they wouldn't sign it. And the, conversely, 
The reason they would sign it is because typically someone's going to sign something that is finished, they're happy with it, they want to be associated with it if somebody sees it, they want to give Jean-Claude the um, credit for making that beautiful piece. So he's proud to put his name on it, sign it, and say, here, I did it. That's typically an artist's, just like, you know, they make a movie, you have a director that makes a movie, right? If he, the stuff that he cuts out of the movie, the cuts, that ends up on the, what they call the cutting room floor, he does not necessarily want anyone to see it and want to be associated. No one puts their name on the cut, on the, the pieces that are cut out of the movie, right? When the finished product is done, then you're talking about something typically that they're very proud of, they want to be associated with, and they put their name on it, okay? So um, that is what you want to do with appraising, is to look and see, to find anything that has, that stands out, a better brand, a better name, anything manufactured by Cartier or Tiffany, any watches by Rolex or Patek Philippe, any jewelry. Now again, jewelry is slightly different because even though you still, you want to look for the designer names, Cartier, Tiffany, Van Cleef, uh, Bulgari, um, but when, if you're talking about a five-carat diamond ring, it's going to have significant value even if it's not made by a well-known designer. So you have a five-carat diamond, you know, if it's nice quality, it could be worth $50,000 regardless whether it is signed by Van Cleef or Tiffany or Graf. However, if it is signed by them, it's going to be worth substantially more. A, because you're typically guaranteed of a very high quality item because they, that's what they sold, and B, because of the fact that uh, they, since it's high quality, their name recognition, and they charge significantly over standard retail prices. So on the secondary market, their items typically go for substantially more, and, um, and we have indeed because of that, we have collectors that will specifically collect Bucciolati. Like Bucciolati, they're, they're sterling silver. A lot of people don't know who they are. Uh, so let me just introduce to my audience, they're like an Italian family that came up with the uh, ability to hand make, it's called filigree. That's the very beautiful way of designing and cutting the metals to make extraordinarily intricate details in the objects, whether it's jewelry or they actually made a lot of sterling silver flatware. So uh, they have a boutique here, I think on 57th Street on the east side. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think we sold one of their rings uh, a couple months ago when we were told that I think their major company was purchased by a Chinese brand. Um, so I'm, I th I'm not sure if there's, I think their manufacturing office is not in Italy anymore, it used to be. But they are made, they're one of the most finest made um, manufacturers of jewelry. They're little rings, like a little engraved ring with just a couple little stones, or it could be no diamonds, or even one diamond, like a little couple little, tiny little stones that you would think might have a wholesale value, a standard ring that's not made by them could be worth $500 just a plain little piece of gold that's engraved a little by a generic manufacturer with a couple little diamond chips, could be 500 bucks. However, if it's stamped by them and made by them, that same ring, could they retail for $30,000.
It's insane. It's really insane. So if anybody has that, we uh, collect Bucciolati. We, we sold recently a complete set of their uh, sterling silver flatware. Um, if you have anything by them, anything by them, by Bucciolati, we have Tiffany, any Cartier, we are aggressive buyers and appraisers of anything, jewelry, watches, everything. Um, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. Do you have a car that you may want to sell for the highest immediate cash price with the absolute best and most convenient service available? APR 57 is New York City's leading buyer of all collectibles of art, jewelry, watches, antiques, as well as used or vintage cars. If you have any used or pre-owned cars that you want to sell immediately for the highest cash prices and be treated like the valued client you are, call or text us at 212-246-2000. Be sure to bring your vehicle to our new 4,000 square foot gallery on the corner of Broadway and 57th Street for a final inspection and a very high cash offer and payment. So call or text us today at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000. Remember, APR 57 is the go-to place for getting the highest cash price for your valuables such as rare watches, diamonds, gold jewelry, gold and silver coins, sterling flatware, Tiffany items, stamp collections, sports cards, memorabilia, fine art, Judaica, as well as used cars in any condition. So drive in or stop by West 57th and Broadway to get the highest and fairest cash offer on the spot. Free snacks and drinks did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash price prices in any condition even broken apr 57 gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as cartier tiffany bucciolati von cleef harry winston and bulgari now is the time to cash out at the world famous apr 57 gallery on 57th street in new york city across from carnegie hall they'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals so if you have anything of value call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000 212-246-2000 or toll free 1-800-772-005 this is Lee the Appraiser back for another segment of Amazing Appraising. Uh, so we were talking about the different types of designers and all the different products. So we were talking, uh, I think we covered watches, artwork. Um, let's talk a little about sterling silver flatware. So we just mentioned Bucciolati is one of the top brands that does jewelry and flatware. Um, so flatware, of course, are place settings that were made typically of sterling silver. Now, again, same thing. Uh, we get a lot of calls. People have what they call flatware made out of silver plate. So you, in general, you don't have to be such a great expert. If the way you separate and identify sterling silver flatware, that means flatware that's, that has value and not, the first thing you want to look for is A, the designer name. If it's a brand, Cartier, Tiffany, uh, Bucciolati, uh, something along those lines. Uh, George Jensen is one of the most famous Danish makers of jewelry and silver flatware. Their designs are a very simple, classic, um, uh, really most beautiful, uh, and they were like one of the more uh, beautiful uh, Danish designers. So um, um, anything like that would generally make it valuable. Um, okay. 
And um, in addition, um, you want to you verify it's made of silver. And of silver, we talk about sterling silver. silver sterling silver is typically the um, point of which things are made like that. And um, um, in order for it to be st sterling, you typically don't have to test it. You can just be... Um, alert and conscious of the signs that are made so on the pieces. So typically, if it is sterling, it's going to be stamped the word sterling, okay? Or it's going to have a number associated with the fineness of, with the fineness of silver. So some, some silver pieces are marked 90, uh, 0.950, which is 95%, although very few. Most of them will be marked 0.925, which is sterling silver, um, or it'll have a number of 900, which is 900 fine, which is 90% silver, or typically it might have a number of uh, 0.800, which is typically European or Eastern European Russian silver. Okay, um, those are so if it lacks the word sterling or it lacks any of those four numbers that I just mentioned, in most cases, in most cases, it's going to be silver plate. There are tests that we can do and look and verify a couple other marks to verify it is or it isn't, but that's generally uh, the consensus is that that's the easiest way to tell. If you have any silver flatware, also tea sets, trays, um, bowls, anything of that sort, you want to look for the marks that will say either the word sterling or any of the aforementioned uh, numbers that would associate it silver, um, and uh, again, we collect that. We love sterling silver pieces. I love uh, um, the the more intricate they are, the more engraved they are. Typically, the more desirable, and the much you know the value increases substantially. And we can pay a lot of money for uh, Tiffany uh, beautiful engraved bowls and uh, so forth, pitchers, candelabras. Um, so we handle all that. We especially, there's a lot of items that are called Judaica, which means that they were typically used in the rituals of uh, the Jewish um, services, whether it's uh, a special cup they use, whether it is um, ornaments to decorate the Torah, which is the biblical scroll of the Bible. They uh, put these fancy holders on it, things of that sort. Um, on, there's a, the, the Jewish holiday that coincides with Christmas called Hanukkah. Those menorahs, those candelabras that are used for lighting the candles are very desirable. We had sold one a couple of years ago for $200,000 that was made in Poland in the early uh, 1700s. Um, we appraised one recently for somebody that was in the Holocaust. He used it during the concentration camps. A simple, very intricate piece. Um, so uh, we love Judaica. If you have any, please call us, contact us. We're happy to appraise it for you. We work with some of the largest collectors in the world, um, and we can pay a lot of money for uh, a lot of interesting things in Judaica. Uh, rare books. Uh, typically, in general, when you talk about books, the books that are going to have value is if they are uh, written and primarily signed by a famous author. 
Okay, a lot of people who wrote books signed them with uh, their personalized notes. So if they were done by a famous author, um, you know, for example, you have a book uh, written by JFK or something like that, and he signed it. So uh, the signatures are going to be make it rare and valuable, typically. In addition to that, with books, you always want, this is generally speaking, you always want the first ones made. So with books, they're called first editions. Okay? So the first editions on popular books that have been reprinted many times, many editions over the course of many years. You had a book of um, Mark Twain, for example, his first book that was done, I guess, in the uh, 1880s or something like the early 1900s. The first edition means the first printing. So typically, that is generally true with all collectibles, watches, jewelry. So watches, if you have the first Rolex made, the first Rolex of a series, the first Submariner made, the first Patek Philippe made, the first of their Calatrava, of it. that's a style watch that they made, a painting, the first painting by this famous artist. All the things first generally are very cool and very desirable because people are going to want the first. So you could have a, a painting drawn by a famous artist before he became famous. Okay, a picture of a famous sports athlete, a baseball player. We have a, a, a somewhere we have a picture of Ty Cobb when he was a teenager. It was like a portrait of him. I think in Detroit, whenever he wherever he grew up. So it was a portrait of him at 14 years old. To me, that is so cool that you get the first picture, the first item before they became famous. So that is just another thing to keep in mind. Um, as a that you want. So with books, we're going to say signatures, first editions. Again, with all these items, condition is extraordinarily important. The finer the condition, the better the condition, the more valuable. And you'll find uh, that goes that holds true generally with all collectibles. We're going to take another short break, and we'll be right back. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigitte, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-00 Welcome back. This is another segment of Amazing Appraising here in our gallery. Uh, we've been asked to talk a little about uh, stamp collecting and how one evaluates stamp collections. Now, this is going to be from this perspective of a novice and somebody who may not be very experienced in doing this. So, um, but the premise is pretty much the same. What to look for if somebody left you a stamp collection and how to figure if it's valuable. So there's a lot of common sense in how we appraise items. 
Okay, so typically the first thing I want to do is to talk to the person that received the collection. Now, obviously, if somebody has been collecting for 50 years, they're a sophisticated stamp collector, and they bought the stamps from various sources, um, whether it be uh, individuals or dealers or auction houses, and they spent tens of thousands of hours on these stamps, they're obviously very knowledgeable, so they know what stamps are the best in their collection, what makes them valuable, the fact that they're super rare, maybe they're rare in the condition, maybe they're rare in the fact that they only made a few of them, and they paid this stamp 5000 this stamp 10000 Okay, we're not talking about that. That's what makes the, the stamps rare and valuable. We're talking about that if someone received these collections as a gift or somebody passed away as an inheritance and they had no prior knowledge of what this collection is worth, how would one go to evaluate it? So the short answer is you bring it to somebody like ourselves, who I am an expert on all collectibles and stamps are one of my areas of expertise. I started collecting stamps when I was a little boy, probably about five years old. My father was uh, at that time the head of the math department in the University of Minnesota and he would... He was actually a very, very well-known mathematician, and they would invite him to travel and speak all over the world on mathematics. He actually went uh, to school, um, he got his PhD in Princeton at 19, and he used to carpool with Professor Albert Einstein. Uh, my father was in the back seat of a convertible, he used to tell me, when they would pick up Professor Einstein, Einstein and take him to his... Uh, classes or his rooms over there in Princeton. He was already a big professor there. And um, so the point is my father would travel a lot, world traveler, and he would started and, and got me involved in stamp collecting. So what are what is stamps? Does anyone know what a postage stamp is? So typically all these area of collecting are items that were issued by governments. And why would somebody prefer to have stamps or coins that were issued by governments as opposed to a private person or a private company. Okay, so the answer is obvious. In order for them to be issued by um, the government, it had to be a stamp that was used for government services. So the standard answer for stamps, or postage stamps as they are, that was in order to mail a letter at that time, we didn't have postage meters at that time. There was no email. There was no uh, texting. Uh, in fact, earlier, there was no telephone service. So the only way one could correspond with somebody else was through writing a letter. And writing a letter would be required to have the letter delivered. And to have it delivered, it would have to be delivered by an agency, which at that time was the first U.S. Postal Service, and they would deliver the letter in the United States. And then they had what was called the United Postal Union, which was sort of an organization that allowed letters to be transferred overseas and all over the world. And these other countries would belong to this union. So basically, if somebody in Canada or France or Greece or Germany wanted to mail a letter, they, we would have this union so they could mail the letter and it would be taken by boat at that time, ship, to the United States. And then the United States 
the U.S. Postal Service here in the U.S. would deliver it to the exact person and party and destination that it would be required to be delivered to. And we would have this union that the other countries were belonging to. So conversely, if we had a letter, and I wrote a letter, or my grandfather wrote a letter to somebody in Greece, uh, the United States would take it, their postal service would take it to Greece and uh, ship it and get it there, whether, you know, of course, when the planes came about, we had airmail, which was quite expensive. And then when it got to Greece, the Greece Postal Service would deliver it to the person in Greece. So they sort of worked together on this feature. But the, the, the point I'm making is that if the... So it was sort of like currency, the, um, the, the stamps, because they were used to pay for a government service. So one would have to go to the post office, the government agency, buy the rate, which is, say, the stamp to send it. The package was, at that time, 30 cents. They would buy 30 cents in stamps. The stamps would be put on. So those stamps were considered somewhat like currency, like bills that were sold by the government. So the idea being is that if the government issued these stamps, Right, so they would have to have several characteristics in order for them to be valid stamps and to be bought from the government. So, A, if the government issued them, they would have to be labeled by the government that actually manufactured them. So it would be, if it was a stamp that was issued in the United States in 1924, it would say United States Postal Service or U.S., so that would clearly identify the country that manufactured them. It would also then say the denomination, three cents, five cents, 10 cents. So one would know what the value is on that stamp and the postal service or the employee who is taking the stamp and stamping it would know whether it's a three cent, five cent because they would have to add up to make sure if the package or stamps, if it was a registered letter and the package was $2, you would have to come up with $2. So it would have to be clear that it was added onto the envelope. And so we had the country, the denomination. Those are the two main characteristics of the stamp. And sometimes they use the stamps for certain uh, special services, whether it was special delivery, airmail, uh, parcel post, that means packages, etc., etc. So if it had one of those special services, it would be noted on the stamps as well. So um, that is really, in essence, the information on stamps. So what one is going to look at with stamps, just like everything else, is to see if one could find... So the, the people wanted stamps that were issued by the governments. I guess that was my point. If somebody privately was issuing stamps, it would have very, very little value. Um, and the same for coins. People that collect coins typically want coins that are issued from a government. If somebody else makes them, they're just considered medals and labels. Um, we're going to actually have another segment probably next week regarding a segment two on stamps and coins. And I'm going to be right back after this message. 
know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. This is Lee the Appraiser, back with another segment of Amazing Appraising in our brand new APR 57 Gallery. So we're talking about now all different types of collectibles, what makes them valuable. So um, let's talk about musical instruments. The value on a number of these items are extremely high and there's tremendous demand. You ever hear the story about like the guy who left his Stradivarius violin, he was playing for Lincoln Center and he left it in the cab and it's worth three million dollars. The prices on some of these things are insane, okay? Um, so what we talk about instruments, the most expensive ones are what are called string instruments. So a string instrument is very clearly by definition an instrument that has strings. So that would include violins, guitars, uh, basses, cellos, etc. So um, typically violins are going to be the most in demand and um, because they're the most popular. All right? And uh, violinists are stand out as being probably, I guess even from a layman's point of view, that you need the m more skill to play a violin beautifully than you do a guitar or cello, okay? Not that you don't, it's just I think it's appreciated more, and I, I, I don't know, I haven't studied this, this is just I'm talking off the top of my head here for our uh, show here, but long story short is we had a gentleman uh, come in here a couple weeks ago um, who was a professional violinist, he's a professional uh, conductor, and um, he's actually a professional uh, violin dealer. Uh, his name is Gregory Singer. He put on an exhibition. We pulled out a, um, a violin we had in stock here that was probably retailed. Uh, we've had it for many years, but probably retailed a couple hundred thousand dollars. And he played just beautifully on it. And that's going to be, uh, I think we have a YouTube video of it. If not, we, um, I think it's public. If not, we'll put it up shortly. Anyhow, so he inspired us to consider, and we are, so to decide to go more into the violin business. We've handled some very top-end violins and musical instruments. We sold a trumpet that was one of the highest-end trumpets made in the 1930s. So... Um, Again, we're going to go ahead with this idea that if it has a brand name with violins, it is called Stradivarius. 
which is the most well-known and high-end brand that was made, I think, in Italy and Italian in the, I think, the 1600s, 1700s. And then it's very common for them to have made reissues of them using their names, but not original Stradivarius. Um, um, so we're going to go more into that, more into detail on that in another episode, and we're going to invite Gregory to be a guest of ours very shortly, perhaps even next week. So if you have any musical instruments that have a brand name on them, violins, trumpets, trombones, anything that could be interesting, we are interested in buying them and appraising them. Uh, guitars, especially guitars that are signed or played by a famous musician or rock group or something like that. You have uh, a guitar that was played by the Beatles, uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, Elvis Presley. We love these items and we would like you to show them to us and we'll be happy to give you a very high accurate appraisal and a very high cash offer on them. Um, especially if you have any pedigree or research or proof of who owned them, pictures, etc., etc. Um, we love to do uh, buy and appraise these items and we play, pay exceptional prices for them. So if you have any violins or string instruments that you think have interesting histories, pedigrees, or values, we'd love you to bring them in. Contact us. Um, you can contact us through our, uh, the phone numbers that we have uh, available here. Um, or text us or come to our gallery on 57th Street and um, we would love to see them and we're always excited to see rare musical instruments. So again, they should have a designer name to them if possible, if not some sort of nice pedigree. Um, and we'll even, it goes with harmonicas, anything of value. Um, so let's see, we did musical instruments. By the way, I want to remind everyone here not to forget our good friend Zeb Brenner, Talkline Communications, follows us every Sunday evening. So I want you to make sure you stick around. I hear he has a number of very interesting guests for tonight's show. So make sure you stay tuned and listen to him carefully. Um, so I think we're going to wrap up this show for tonight. If there's anything, any questions, please call or contact us, uh, visit our gallery, and um, please uh, stay, I was going to say stay collectible. They call us the most collectible gallery in the world. I don't know if that makes sense, stay collectible. But um, anyhow, we hope to hear from you soon, and just stay safe. And if you have any questions about collectibles, you want to buy, sell, or appraise, please contact us and leave the appraiser. We'll be happy to help you in any way he can. So good night, everyone.